My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Sue Deranger and Robin Pitawanaquat. On April 9th, the Band Council of Attawapiskat First Nation in Northern Ontario declared a state of emergency because of a wave of suicide attempts in the community, around 100 since the previous September. This brought a surge of attention from mainstream media and from prominent politicians, and it also sparked some Indigenous activists in Toronto and their allies, including from the local chapter of Black Lives Matter, to occupy the offices of Indigenous and Northern Affairs Canada, or INAC, that part of the federal government responsible for programs related to Indigenous people. Similar solidarity actions followed in other cities, including Winnipeg and Vancouver. Another city where people decided to act in solidarity was Regina, Saskatchewan. They began with a lunch hour demonstration on Friday, April 15th. When they discovered that the INAC office had locked its doors, they decided to show up again early the next Monday morning to be there and present their concerns to the staff as soon as the doors opened. Except, the doors didn't open that day. So the activists began the process of setting up a tent city outside of the INAC building in Regina, under the banner of Colonialism No More. Though the solidarity occupations of INAC offices in other cities have ended, the Colonialism No More camp is, at least as of the start of the editing of this show 30 days after the first tent went up, still there and going strong. Colonialism No More wants to support the youth of Attawapiskat, but they also want to draw attention to similar crises in Indigenous communities in Saskatchewan and across Canada. They want INAC to share whatever information they have about the current situations of Indigenous communities in Saskatchewan, and they want to hear what INAC intends to do in response. They want to emphasize that communities know what they need, know what their problems are, know how to address them, they just need the resources to do it. And they want to be perfectly clear that underlying the suicide crisis in Attawapiskat and in so many other Indigenous communities, and underlying the other interlocking problems that many Indigenous communities face across the country, is colonialism. Robin Pitawanaquat is a member of Whitefish River First Nation, and she grew up in Regina. She's the child of a longtime Indigenous community activist, and she's become active herself in recent years, initially around questions of racist policing in the city. Sue Deranger is a member of the Athabasca Chippewyan First Nation, and she has been involved in Indigenous struggles and in a wide range of other social movements since the early 1970s. She's overjoyed by the Colonialism No More camp, which she takes to be the start of a genuine, autonomous people's social movement. Pitawanaquat and Deranger speak with me about colonialism in Canada and about the Colonialism No More camp in Regina. We spoke by Skype to phone. And I should caution listeners that there are a few moments where the connection with Deranger isn't the greatest. My apologies. My name's Sue Deranger, and I've lived in Regina for many years. I'm a member of the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation, and been involved a great deal of my life in indigenous rights, women's rights, protecting Mother Earth, human rights. 
Justice, you name it, I've been involved with it. My name is Robin Pitawanaquas. I'm a member of Whitefish River First Nation in Ontario. I grew up in Regina, and I am the child of a community activist, an Indigenous activist, and I feel like I'm carrying her work forward as we try to make parenting and childhood more livable for Indigenous children in Saskatchewan and Canada. Colonialism No More came out of a desire to amplify the voices of the Attawapiskat youth and the Occupy INAC initiatives that were happening in Toronto and then also in Winnipeg. Our initial action was a lunch hour protest in front of the INAC office in Regina. And it went well and we felt like we were adding to the voices of the other people across Canada, but it just seemed that there wasn't much movement, much response to the youth in Attawapiskat. We felt that we needed to do more, we needed to be more vocal, we needed to be more visible. And so we set up a tent city on the front yard of the INAC building here in Regina. Since then, it has blossomed into this amazing autonomous consensus group. It's a beautiful thing. Tell me about your respective paths to becoming involved in this kind of organizing. I started on this path at 16 years old when I started to question everything and choose everything that was wrong around me and try to find my own way through feeling inadequate and less than because of racism and finding a movement that made me feel like it wasn't my fault and that I wasn't a bad person and that it was systemic and it was racism. And it was everything else which empowered me, and then I got involved and learned all the issues, and I'm now 63, and I question, why am I still doing this? Not why am I doing it, but why is there a reason that I'm still doing this? Because after all, when I started at 16, it was all going to be results. So, yeah, it's been a long path for me, but the beauty I see here is I have been talking about an autonomous people's social movement for years, and not just me, there's been a handful of us in Regina, and it's never sparked until now, and it's there, and it's beautiful, and that's all I'm thinking about these days is the camp and just wanting to be there and not even going to lectures or book launches or anything because that beauty, that autonomous people's social movement is awesome. I would encourage Sue to talk about specific actions that she was involved in. She and my mother were very close friends and would get into all sorts of trouble together. My earliest memories was the two of them working on education issues in the city Mm -hmm. of Regina. But I also remember them being major participants in the OCA support camp that was situated in downtown Regina as well. Uh, And Oka, of course, refers to the events in 1990 when Mohawk people from the community of Ganasatage took direct action to defend some of their land from encroachment by developers and the nearby town of Oka in Quebec. That led to what's often referred to as the Oka Crisis and to what was probably the most visible standoff between Indigenous peoples and the Canadian settler state in that era. Those were later events. That's why I said, where do you want me to start? I also managed to make my way to the Wounded Knee Occupation in 1973. I mean, I've been involved in all kinds of things like that, that movements and trying to bring people together. But yes, Robin, she was quite young then with my kids and we're doing educational stuff. 
In fact, it's kind of interesting. Regina is a really apathetic city, and it's hard to get people out, but we were the leaders in Oka. We had the first peace camp. We occupied the first INAG building, and we blocked the first highway, and we blocked the first train. I don't know how that all happened in Regina, but it did. And it seems like what we're doing, camping outside INAC and creating this people's autonomous social movement is also something pretty powerful happening in Canada. So I don't know how some of those apathetic places ends up being in this leadership role, but it does. My path... Um as a child, I felt dragged into activism. And so my rebellious teen years was me being a complete conservative. It took me quite a long time to come around to activism of the kind that I'm doing now. A lot of it had to do with realizing that my sweet little children are Aboriginal and they're not seen as sweet to everyone else. They're seen as potential criminals. They're seen as less intelligent, less worthy of health care, less worthy of education. And I wanted to do everything I could to avoid them ending up in the system. I don't want them to end up in foster care. I don't want them to end up in the criminal justice system. And I realized that there had to be major institutional changes to avoid those situations. So at first, I started getting involved in issues of policing and security where Aboriginal people are being unfairly targeted. So that's where I came back into activism as an adult. This is an extension of that in that I want my children to have equal health care and education opportunities. And I want children that look like my children to have those opportunities. And I don't want them to be denied the services that they need because of their location either. Tell me about the broader context that led you to start the Colonialism No More camp. The state of emergency that Attawapiskat called due to the high rates of suicide attempts in the time since Trudeau was elected. This is my understanding of what started the Toronto Occupy INAC and then the Winnipeg one as well. Here, what it was for us is that Attawapiskat was getting a lot of attention and it was being made out in the media like it was the only one that was having these high suicide attempts. But actually, a month previous, three First Nations in Saskatchewan put out a similar alert that they were in a state of emergency. And that barely made a blip on the media radar. It wasn't even a headline. It was buried in the back and nobody really even paid attention to it. So... We definitely want Attawapiskat to have the they need, and we want people to know that this is a nationwide thing. This is not one community. It's not two communities. It's more like 100 communities, and we don't even know how many. Part of what we're trying to do right now is get the data to find out who are the communities in crisis and how can we help. And also, there's this thing across Canada that the prairies don't exist, we're ignored. It's nationwide, it's institutional-wide, and it's also activist-wide. For some reason, the prairie provinces just get overlooked. And even in Saskatchewan, we seem to have the highest rates of everything for some reason. And it's just like, oh, well, we'll look somewhere else. And that's not to minimize Attawapiskat. We're standing up for them, but we're also saying this is an epidemic and pay attention. In the aftermath of Attawapiskat declaring a state of emergency, there have been a lot of, frankly, very silly and pretty awful things said in the mainstream media about the causes of the crisis. What's your take on the root causes of the crisis in Attawapiskat and in so many Indigenous communities across the country? 
Well, the simple answer to that is colonialism. Mm-hmm. And that is where the name of our group came from, colonialism no more. We understand that that's the root of the problem. The idea that these communities don't have as much authority as they need. They know what they need. They know the supports they need, and they don't have access to the funds. And there's no reason why they couldn't have access to the funds. It's just the paternalistic way that INAC is run. If INAC didn't exist, and if these communities had the resources they need directly, if we were able to cut out that middleman that takes 75% of the funds, these communities would be much better off. And furthermore, there are trillions of dollars in trust for First Nations that are trickled down to the communities. And if we had those trillions of dollars, we are astute enough, we are organized enough, and we know what our communities need, and the communities themselves could resolve lots. And we also have to look at resource extraction. There's a diamond mine near Attawakaskat. There's resource extraction near all our First Nations communities. And none of those billions of dollars are coming to the communities, and what the communities are getting is all the pollution and the sickness, and that is creating further problems, which goes back to colonialism again and terra novas and doctrine of discovery, etc. And what have people been saying in these communities that are in crisis about what they need? Clean drinking water, houses without mold, enough houses, schools. You know, the things that we take for granted in municipalities. So a place to live, a place to learn, and clean drinking water, and also affordable food. We've all seen the disgusting prices on grocery store items in the north. And when the environment and the land is getting destroyed, you can no longer survive off of the land and the animals. So what do you survive on? And the stores are too expensive. And when you're not out on the land, then all, all the dysfunction starts happening, that everybody's yelling about drugs and alcohol and everything, but they've taken everything away and replaced it with nothing. There needs to be programs for youth, for parents, for families. How did the action in Regina get started? We saw the headlines of the crisis, and it was just a matter of me mentioning to this group of friends I have And we've done lots of different activism together. We usually keep each other in the loop whenever there's something coming up in the city. And it's a group of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. And I mentioned to them that I wanted to do something. Each person in that group has a different skill set. And within that, everyone found a way to make it work. There was our friend Andrew who really made it seem possible and like, of course we should do this. Why wouldn't we? And he just pushed and pulled us and encouraged us to make it happen. And with everyone participating, we set up at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Monday. And people that led the charge that day are not necessarily the people that are continuing in leadership roles now. We all seem to take turns as someone needs to step away or gets tired. Someone else comes in that was previously unknown to us and takes up a leadership role and shows us maybe a blind spot we had even. It's totally consensus, it's totally autonomous, and it's empowering people. There was a young man in the camp, and he was recently interviewed, and he said, you know, I just happened to walk by, and my life is at one of its lowest points that it's ever been, and I stopped in in the camp, and I'm here, and I'm an active part of it because I have found my voice. 
I have found myself and I know I have a reason to stand up and that I can stand up and that I can be powerful. And, and there was another young man in camp who said something very similar. And that's so touching. If we can empower people to believe in themselves and have a voice and that trickles down, it's amazing. So we had, yeah, the initial protest was on a Friday at noon. And part of what pushed us to do the tent city is INAC actually locked their doors when they found out that we were coming to do a midday rally. They had closed several of their offices across the country, making it inaccessible for the people that need their services to even get in the door, essentially making us an enemy, and us, I mean indigenous people, status people, even though those aren't necessarily the people that were outside their door. But they lumped all status people in together and decided they were better off locking their doors. So our Monday morning appearance was actually that we wanted to be there to challenge them when they opened the doors, but they didn't open the doors on the Monday. And then Tuesday came, and they still didn't open the door. The only change that you were seeing is that the sign would go up saying, today we are not open, and it would give the date. But on the Tuesday, a wall went up. The property managers built a fence perimeter around the property, which actually turned out to be illegal, and the fire marshal made them open it up again. It took them eight days days they were shut to the public. And we saw so many people turned away. We saw people driving in from other provinces, from northern communities to come to that office. And they got turned away at the doors. No explanation except that we are not open. No alternative either. They left a phone number on the sign that they would put up saying that people could call there. But for the first couple of days when you called the number... They didn't even know that the offices were closed, so they couldn't tell you why they were closed because they didn't know they were closed. And even the local number, all you got was a recording, and you could not get through to their offices. They only opened the doors when they saw that our first two demands were that they come out and talk to us and that they opened the door. They saw that in the media, and then they finally came down. Because we're a consensus group, because we're an autonomous group, it did take us longer to find what our demands were. And when we did, the first one that came to mind was open the doors and come and speak to us. And so they did. Beyond that, our current demands are for data. We want to know exactly how many communities, and we're we're keeping it to Saskatchewan at the moment, but we want to know how many communities in Saskatchewan are under boil water advisories, how many have unsafe housing. We want to know about suicide rate. We want to know about all the different issues that are putting these communities into crisis mode. And we want to know what INAC is planning. Like, what are their recourses for these communities? There doesn't seem to be a lot of planning at this point, so I don't know. But it talks to us every time we meet with them is budget, budget, budget. And we keep saying, we don't want to hear about your budget. We want you to think outside the box and we want to know what the real issues are. The budget right now is not our concern. We need to know issues and we need to know what everybody's facing. Who's involved in the camp? It's people from all walks of life. It's been incredible. There's a core group of predominantly First Nations, but a lot of European, white, Caucasian, I don't even know the correct term, allies, but we've also had people from African descent, Palestinians, Asians, all kinds of people sit down with us and support us, and the union has done an unprecedented support. 
with a big march of about 50 members during May Day, and QP has provided us with a canopy tent, and Unifor bought us a generator. So that's been unreal, and the support is phenomenal. Like, people honk when they're coming by, and in the odd races comment, but not a lot of them, like there usually is. New people come in daily, and we have daily meetings, and anybody's allowed in those meetings. It's consensus, and everything is done by complete consensus. And we've got everything from people that are semi-homeless to people in university, et cetera. We've got people from all races and all walks of life that are part of this camp. It's magic. I, I can't explain what's going on, but it's everything I've ever dreamt of. What sorts of things have you been hearing from passers-by? Colonialism seems to be a new word to a lot of people, so we get a lot of questions about the group name. We are doing a lot of open discussions with people. We have a circle of chairs where people can come and sit with us. We have free coffee available all the time, so it feels like inviting somebody into your kitchen and into your home, and we have hot meals every day, so it really opens up the dialogue, and I think people have felt pretty comfortable coming in to our space and asking questions. It seems like a much more open environment than a lot of other activist-type spaces. I find that a lot of activism is quite elite, but this doesn't feel that way. This feels kind and patient. Tell me more about the logistics of maintaining the camp. We do have a lot of support from outside the camp. We aren't doing cooking at the camp. A hot meal comes every day for supper from different communities. We do have a generator, so we're able to make coffee there. We're able to have a small fridge there. So we're able to have snacks there all the time, and they get replenished. Sometimes we do a call out and ask for certain items, and other times items just arrive. There has been such a variety of people bringing donations. We have the older, non-Indigenous church types who come by and give us a bunch of food. We have a lot of Indigenous families who... You know, they probably don't have a lot of money, but they're giving whatever they can. We have people who stop by on their way to work and drop off a batch of muffins. Or there's all kinds of random people that just come up. Somebody came up once with a bag of oranges and said, I saw you from the bus and I decided to drop these off and ran away. Like, it was like I don't really want to be involved, but I want to see you. Like I said, there's some magic in this camp. And I understand that I don't know if it was INAC or the property manager has tried to evict you a couple of times. Well, the property manager, as Robin was telling you, did erect a fence that kind of blew up on them. We kept telling them it was a fire hazard, but they were told 10 minutes later by the fire marshal it was. They've come back a couple times and they want us to stay at a certain line in a certain place away from the building. And if they think we've gone over that line, They've come back and said, you know, we're going to get the police and we'll put up another fence. And I didn't say anything, but I thought that worked real well for you the first time. And when that happens, then we get on social media and tell everybody to do telephoning and emailing and tweeting and they go on the blitz and then they back off some more. The property manager has definitely been problematic. She uses good cop, bad cop with us sometimes within the same sentence. And it gets really confusing to know where she's coming from. It's gotten to the point, she will not look at me. She won't converse with me because when the fence went up, when she put the fence up, I kept calling her on her smugness because she actually laughed throughout the erection of the fence. And my three-year-old daughter was sleeping in one of the tents 
when the fence went up and I told her my baby is in this tent and you are trying to build this fence right beside her. If one of these pieces fell on her, well, what are you doing? And she, she thought it was funny, whether it was discomfort or what, but I don't know. But she, she laughed through it. It represents a lot of the callousness of non-Indigenous people in the Regina area and probably across Canada, really. There are so many people that are unwilling to hear what we're protesting about. They want to believe that we're just complaining, that we have no ground to stand on, that the issues won't ever change. And she represents all the things that we need to change, all the attitudes we need to change. And yet we've actually seen very little of that attitude in other people because we've had so much support. So we've had the other end of the spectrum with non-Indigenous people as well. So we've had people who want to build community, who want to see all children and all families thriving and who are willing to put in the time, the energy, the money even to make that happen. Where do you see things going, both in terms of this specific action and for the group beyond the action? What I see is beyond is that one day, yes, council will go down, but the group will not dissolve, and the actions we take and the stand we take will continue. We will be a cohesive group, and we will keep going forward. And, and I really believe we have now started an autonomous people social movement in at least Regina. Where I see the actions in the short term is that we continue to occupy the space in front of INAC and that we push for more and more data, more information on what's going on in the communities in Saskatchewan so that we can make it available to the public. We want it to be known by everyone that this isn't one or two communities, that it is widespread and that each community has some long-term effects of colonialism still in their communities, even though some of them are quite prosperous. They still have issues of colonialism in their communities, and they may have ideas on how to get out from underneath the Indian Act, how to get out from underneath colonialism in general, and they're just not being heard. There was one community that was mentioned in the media in the past month, that they had a binder full of correspondence to INAC, where it was 500 letters that they had sent saying, this is what we need. And it wasn't an unreasonable request. And it was just continually denied. And how much money would it have cost for the administration of those letters to be read, to go through the whole process of being looked at by the various levels of INAC and then being denied and sent back? And how much does it cost for this to continue happening for the health epidemics that come from people being denied safe water, safe housing, sufficient food? It's just, yeah, we just need to keep pushing for information. We want to be able to show the wider public just how rampant these issues and these crises are. And we want to tie it back to colonialism and the Indian Act as well. That Indian Act needs to go. You have been listening to my interview with Sue Deranger and Robin Pitawanaquat about the Colonialism No More camp in Regina, Saskatchewan. To learn more about it, search for Colonialism No More on Facebook or Twitter. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>